Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. As you travel, you start to break down all of these stereotypes and presumptions that that were fed um, through whoever, whatever it is that you're seeing from the outside. But when, when you're actually a part of it, when you're actually seeing it for yourself, when you're experiencing it for yourself, you see that like, wow, like pretty much everyone in the world is almost the same in some type of way. Like, of course, we have our differences. We have our ways that we we'd like to express ourselves and all that type of stuff. But like, once you really see how similar everyone is, like it's the world becomes like a lot less of a scary place and more of a place where you just want to to see and explore everything. most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Fuad Agoro. He is a location-independent serial entrepreneur of Nigerian descent, born in London and raised mostly in Chicago. Fuad has been a full-time itinerant nomad traveling the world since 2013 as he runs his businesses remotely. He is a digital marketing expert with a niche specialty in Facebook and Instagram advertising. He is also the founder of Abnormal Fitness, where he teaches nomads how to create customized meal plans and exercise routines to lose fat, build muscle, and optimize their health while traveling and changing locations. For those times when you don't have access to a full gym, he shows you how to use pools, beaches, parks, hills, and even hostel rooms to complete a full workout routine. He is also the founder of the Travel Fitness Community, a Facebook group of world travelers who share the best healthy eating and workout locations around the world. And he was named the Smile Ambassador of Thailand. Fuad, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. That intro, like just hearing about yourself, it just, I don't know, it just feels good. <laughs> oh man, well, I am so excited to have you on the show, brother. And we should sort of set the context there. First of all, unfortunately, we are not in the same place today because yeah. that would have been a blast if we were doing this in person. I am actually doing a swing through the US. I am currently in Asheville, North Carolina today, but you're about 13 hours uh, time zone different from me. Where are you today? 
Yeah, quite a bit of distance. So I'm currently in Ho Chi Minh, Vietnam, also known as Saigon. And I got about 10 days left here. And I've been based here for the last six months or so. Man, have you done the street art tour of Ho Chi Minh City yet? No. Is that like a big thing? I love street art. I used, I literally made an Instagram like five years ago about street art. I only posted like five times, but I, I love that stuff. It is one of my favorite ways to experience a city. So I will always look to see if there is a street art tour in any city that I go to. I love, first of all, I just love the art form, right, of graffiti. But I also love to see a city through the eyes of the street artists because it is unfiltered by government, corporations, you know, any of those kind of like establishment lenses. And you really get to see an unfiltered look of how the people see their own city and their own society. And it's just an amazing lens. So I always look for that when I'm traveling around. And Ho Chi Minh City has a really impressively dope street art tour. So I would encourage you to check it out. I'm doing that. Like, I literally might do that tomorrow. Yeah, you should. You should, man. And I'll I'll give you another tip. So there's a there's a walking tour, right? And Mm -hmm. you you know that's what I signed up for. It's like a street art walking tour. And then when I got there on that day, the tour guide meets me and he goes, "Okay, so here's the deal." He's like, "You're the only one that signed up for this tour at this time." So either A, I can take you on the walking tour and we can just you know walk around these blocks and I'll show you the pieces I was going to show the group. Or since you're the only one, you can jump on the back of my motorcycle and I can show you a whole bunch more stuff in different parts of the city. So I was like, let's go with option B. And so (laughs) we rolled around the city. Man, he took me to like this skateboarding park and like the all the skateboard, like half pipes and stuff are all graffiti. And he's like, this is where they have like the, you know, the Vietnamese B-boys do like dance battles here and they have like these yeah. ciphers which like they have MC battles here. Like he's telling what? me this whole thing and going into like Vietnamese hip hop scene, the whole thing. So, man, listen, I mean, Google it, check it out, see what's available and just get into it, man. Because I was like very impressed and, and it was it definitely beyond my expectations of what I expected out of Vietnam. Super yeah. impressed. Yo, if you got his contact, please put me in contact with him. Like, all right, for sure. Yeah, I'll check it out. I'll check it out and see if I can uh, if I can find out. Hit, hit you up with it, man. So <laughs> dope. And as further context for how you and I connected, we connected through our mutual friend Illuminate Benro, who Maverick Show listeners know because I have interviewed him on the podcast before. And you and I are both going to be featured speakers at the upcoming Digital Nomad Summit that Illuminate is organizing in Bali in June. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super excited for that. Like I've done talks and stuff before, but it's usually just towards like marketing crowds and whatnot. So I'll be really interested to to talk to like digital nomads and everything like that and just be around all those different types of people. So yeah, I'm excited for that. For sure, man. You've been in the game a long time, man. You know, I tell people (laughs) that I've been full-time itinerant traveling the world since 2013, but you have as well, man. So I'm, yeah. I'm really excited to get into a little bit of your travel experience. But I have to start. I mentioned in the intro that you are Nigerian. And <laughs> I know that last year was my first time going to Nigeria. And yeah. it was my first time in West Africa and the whole region in general. So I went, I spent three months and I went to uh, Lagos, uh, in Nigeria for a month. I went to Accra in Ghana for a month. I did a quick swing through the Ivory Coast. And then I went to Senegal. Uh, I went to Dakar in Senegal for a month. And man, it just Ooh. blew my mind. Like I've been telling everybody about West Africa literally like since I got back. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, 
like after the show, I got you got to tell me more about Dakar because that's one place I was thinking of like going for like a month and stuff. But man, Dakar is one is literally like one of my favorite cities in the world now. Like when people mm-hmm. are asking me to name my top favorite cities, I'm naming Dakar. And there's a really it was actually a really cool experience, too, that that happened there. I mean, there's a number of amazing things I could say about Senegal, but you know, one of the things that really, really struck me that was incredible, which you're going to appreciate because we're going to get into the fitness and health and exercise culture later in the podcast, obviously. Yeah. But I'll just tell you right now that you in particular will appreciate Dakar so much because it is one of the only places that I have actually seen this in the world other than maybe Rio de Janeiro. Have you been to Brazil, by the way? No, I have not. Okay, so if you've you've maybe seen pictures or videos, but the the scene in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, is so one of the things that's extraordinary about it. There's a lot of things. It's one of my favorite countries in the world. But one of the things that's extraordinary about Rio is that it has an entire, like, incredibly long and amazing exercise facilities all along the beaches. Okay, so it has these mm. world-renowned, legendary beaches, Ipanema and Copacabana, and these kind of beaches. And then what happens is on the beach, you have, first of all, all of the stuff for people to be playing volleyball or, you know, doing different types of athletic, you know, sort of beach sports. But then you have these incredibly manicured running paths, right, that people are running, jogging on along the beach as a secondary thing. And then you have all of this outdoor weatherproof gym fitness equipment. So like imagine all the machines that you would see in like a really nice gym, right? Like all of the different presses and the leg lifts and the bench presses, like all that stuff. They have all of that outdoors weatherproof equipment for free public use for everybody. Okay. So Brazil, I was like, this is unbelievable. I was like, no wonder all the people in this country are gorgeous and amazing looking and they're all in shape and everything because exercise is such a central part of the whole culture and everybody has access to it for free. Okay. Now, you contrast that with a place like Egypt. So I lived in Cairo for nine months. Okay. Mm -hmm. And in Cairo, you will never see someone jogging outdoors. Not even a crazy tourist. Like, it's like, not happening. Zero percent chance. You can't Why do it, that? right? For a, for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's the density of the city is too insane. There's mm. not sidewalks that you can run on. Motorcycles drive on the sidewalk. You know, there's like, you know, it's also not culturally, you know, really uh, appropriate to wear shorts. And I mean, there, there's different oh, okay, dynamics okay, okay. that make it just not possible to jog and exercise outdoors in Cairo for the most part. Okay. And so the way that I had to exercise in Cairo was to join a gym, right? Now, yeah. joining a gym in Cairo, which I did, I paid for it, you know, um, I joined like Gold's Gym or an international gym that was there, but it was very expensive, okay? Mm-hmm. It is a novelty luxury item that a regular working person, there's no way they can afford it. Like yeah. no chance. It's all internationals that are in these gyms, okay? Mm. And so I was like, man... You know, so so those are like two serious contrasts, right? My experience yeah. in Cairo versus my experience in Rio, whereas Rio, it's it's free and there for everybody and a central part of the culture, whereas Cairo, it's not a central part of the culture and it's insanely expensive to do, right? Yeah. And so I went to Dakar in Senegal, right? Which is, you know, northern-ish uh, West Africa, right? Um, and... I was like, man, I wonder if this is, is this going to be like Egypt? You know, is this going to be like, you know, that kind of stuff? And I get there, man, with the exception of Rio de Janeiro, 
Dakar had the most impressive, extraordinary, expansive outdoor exercise culture and facilities I've seen anywhere in the world. Mm. I mean, and I've been to probably 75 countries, man. And I am telling you, they have. And Dakar, you know, Senegal is like over 90% Muslim and all this kind of stuff. Man, they have on the beach. It's the same thing. It's on the beach, right? So you have all the outdoor sports, same thing. You got soccer fields and basketball courts and all that. Then you have the running path that goes along it. So you got all your joggers and, and cyclists and everything. You have that. And then you have the equipment. Man, I'm talking about stair stepper, you know, cardio machines, you know, weightlifting machines, like all like outdoor weatherproof public stuff. And I am telling you, man, you go out there after work. So in like the time from like 5 p.m. to when the sun sets at 8, thousands of Senegalese people every day exercising. I'm talking about, you know, women, like Muslim women wearing the hijab with their babies on the back, doing the stair stepper after work. I mean, like the whole society, men and women, everybody, it's an unbelievable scene. Damn. Yo, I'm, okay, I'm going. <laughs> you got to go. You got to go. You got to go. And, and, and as is the case through all of West Africa, the nightlife is absolutely ridiculous next level. Oh, so boy. you're going to love it. You're going to love it. So, all right, man. So I want to get to your experience, though, in, in Lagos, man. I was there for a month, but I want you to talk about your experience because you had an amazing experience, the people you were rolling with, you know, your Nigerian connections, all that kind of stuff. So for people that have never been to Nigeria, tell us about Lagos. Yeah. So kind of like a little uh, pre-Lagos for me. So obviously I'm I'm Nigerian, born in London, grew up in Chicago. So like pretty much my whole life growing up, I was around Nigerians. Obviously my mom cooks the Nigerian food. We go to church with all Nigerians and like you're just around it, so you see it. And like growing up, it was always like like Africans, like in general, or Africa was always seen as a place that you don't want to go. It was always like to my mom, like like the way she would like say it, she's like, If if you get in trouble, like I'm gonna send you to Nigeria. Like Nigeria was looked at as a place that you go for punishment. And then on the media side of it, it's like all you're seeing is like feed the children. You're seeing safaris and all that type of stuff. You're seeing war. Like you don't see anything really great about Africa. There's no music. There's no pop culture. There's none of that stuff. So like growing up, it was always like almost shameful to be uh, to be African or to be Nigerian. But fast forward to maybe like around 2015 or 16, like this is when the, the music starting to come in. We're starting to get movies. We're starting to get actors and athletes and all that stuff. And it's almost becoming cool to be African. So like I first went and I've never been to Africa before. So I traveled the world for before that point. So I went in December 2018. And up to that point, I've been traveling for what, like four or five years or whatever. And I've never been to Africa. I've never been to the continent of Africa. And people are always like, how have you not gone? Like every time I was supposed to go, I was supposed to go like with my family and all that stuff. But it always got canceled because something happened. And 2018, the same thing happened. I was supposed to go with my brother, but some stuff happened with him. So he couldn't go. So I'm like, nah, I can't not go again. So I decided, I'm like, all right, I'm actually going to go. I'm going to book my ticket. I'm going to make my way there. So before going there, I had kind of a rough idea of it because like, my family and all that stuff would tell me it's not what the media shows you. We have money, we have nice things and all that stuff. And I'm just like, 
Yeah, like I know it's not going to be a third, like a super third world looking place and everywhere that I go. But at the same time, I'm like, how how nice or how dope could it actually be? Um, so I get there and like I get picked up by uh, one of my cousins that that lives there and stuff. And I'm just like uh, leaving the airport and I'm just seeing like the sunset. I'm like, yo, this place is beautiful. Like one of the most beautiful places like I've ever seen. And so we get to the house that we're staying at and the really dope thing about this trip, what made this trip super amazing, super special for me was the people that I went with. So for anyone that listens to Afro Beach, you most likely um, have heard of Malik Berry. Um, so he does music and all that stuff. His biggest song is Control. And so that happens. Huge, huge megastar. I want to emphasize this for people that don't listen to Afro Beats. And I actually want to draw back now and reference the Illuminate Benro episode, because at the end of that episode, I asked him to name his top five favorite Afrobeat artists on the entire continent. And he named Malik Barry, I think, like, that was the first one of the five that he named. So we're talking about megastar on the entire continent of Africa. Just want to provide that context for the listeners so that you weren't <laughs> going to be at all uh, uh, humble about this. But go ahead with the story. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, he's literally one of the biggest Afrobeats artists and since we're from Nigeria, obviously his biggest fan base is there. And so, yeah, that's my cousin. It's actually my cousin. Our moms are sisters. So growing up. <laughs> Dude, I couldn't even believe it because I didn't even know that about you. And then like I'm watching your YouTube video that you did about Lagos and I was and I see Malik Barry in it and you put throw up his Instagram. And I was like, yo, you got Malik Barry in your video. And then you come out you're like, oh, that's my cousin Malik Barry. I'm like, what? <laughs> Yeah, people find it wild. Like, I think the funniest thing is, is like when I hear people listening to it that I'm with, and I'm like, "Oh, so you like this guy?" They're like, "Yeah, yeah, he's dope." I'm like, "You know?" I'm like, "Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen it. I've seen his music before." <laughs> like, I don't know, because I, I find it weird to like be the person that's like, "Oh, you know, it's my cousin, right?" You know, I know him. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know, like, yeah, of course. That's, <laughs> well, that's why I just did it right now, so people yeah. would understand. But so I, I've got to understand, man. I mean, so I was in Legos, but you rolled in Legos with Malik Barry. So what was yeah. that experience like? Yeah, so that was insane. So I, I literally got to see what like the rock star life is like. And another thing about Legos, like before I even talk about that whole life, is like in December. December is like the craziest possible time to be in Lagos and to be in just West Africa, like Ghana and Lagos and Nigeria, all that stuff. Cause everyone that is from there, not everyone, but you guys get what I'm saying. Like it, everyone flocks back there. And it's not just people that are Nigerian. It's like anyone who is anyone that wants to be a part of something like crazy in December. Cause we're talking about some of the biggest festivals, some of the biggest parties and just all these mixes of people. Like last year, I think in, in Ghana, like, I believe Beyonce and Jay-Z went down there. Like just like every and every possible celebrity that you can think of will be in West Africa during that time. So with that being said, like December was insane. It was an insane time there. Like the traffic was mad. The amount of people that were there. I randomly ran into some people that I knew from London and stuff. Like it was just crazy. So like rolling with Malik, he had a show or like an event or party, like literally almost every other day. And if it wasn't an event or a party, we're going to like meet someone or going to something like it was literally something going on every single day we're there. So like I had maybe like 13 hours of sleep in like the three weeks that I was there, like literally no joke, because it's literally like every minute that you're there, like when you wake up, you're like, all right, maybe we'll go see family, go get something to eat. 
Then you got to go to the venue, check out the stage. And then you want to go have some fun. And then you got to go to the actual event. And the thing with, with Nigeria, I don't know if it's all in West Africa, but things start so damn late. Like if, if you come to like a venue or a party, like before midnight, you're just going to be sitting there. Like nothing is going to happen before midnight when it comes, especially when it comes to parties. Like I was just so shocked by this. Like people would be like, we'll be in our hotel room, like sleeping. Everyone would be taking a nap and it's still like 10 p.m. Like anywhere else in the world to be like, what do you do? We got to go. Like here, like, no, nah, chill, chill, chill. We got time. <laughs> we got time. <laughs> so like, yeah, it was literally like from there. So like we'd go to the, the show that would maybe finish at like two or three. Then we go to the after party that would finish at like somewhere around sunrise. And then we'd go, go back to our room, go back to our hotel and then get up at, at like 10 o'clock and then start it all over again. So it was, oh man. And like the people that we ran into, like I'm just seeing Skepta, I seen like Skepta like three, four days in a row. Um, I saw P squared, like one of like the originators, like the whole Afrobeat music, a bunch of other people. And yeah, it was just insane. And on top of that, I wasn't just there with Malik. Um, so my brother, um, Jabril, so he's founder of Passport Heavy, which is like a channel that um, that shows people what it's actually like in different countries. So like cost of living in places and then also just breaking down stereotypes. So like when people think of Colombia, they think it's dangerous and narcos and da, da, da. But we show what it's actually like. And then also but what he's actually like doing every single day is marketing as a marketing company. So with these connections, he actually um, is part of this group who is if you guys ever watched the show um, Insecure. So like Yvonne Orji, she's part of it. We have Tiffany. So Tiffany's one of the biggest financial educators in the world who I also work with. Um, we got politicians. We got um, Cynthia Ervo. So she was in, um, uh, what's the movie? The Harriet, Harriet movie and a bunch of other stuff. So a bunch of big people, like these people are like, like the most famous or the most influential, the most powerful in the world. So like I had that group of people that like, we went to the president of uh, Lagos's house, so pretty much like the White House of Nigeria. We got to go there and like shake hands with everybody. Um, we got to go to like this amazing Nigerian wedding. We went and did all these different like charity events and all that type of stuff. So I literally had like, I could choose like, all right, do I want to roll with Malik to the party stuff or do I want to roll with like the most powerful people <laughs> like in the world to like all of these different events and shake hands with like, yeah, the most influential, most powerful people in the world. So like, yeah. If I went by myself and didn't have any of these connections, I would have had a totally different experience. But at the same time, it still would have been amazing because like Nigeria is just a place you can go. Like even if you don't have connections, like you can just go talk to people, meet people, have fun. And you definitely got to eat. You have to eat like for real, for real eat when you get there because the food is. I'm going to put you on the spot, man. For anybody that's thinking about going to Lagos, I'm going to just put the question out there. I'm going to let you give a shout out and a recommendation. Where? Is it's a controversial question coming now? Where is the best jollof rice in Lagos? Ooh, the best jollof. Well, I would say for my family, like everyone in my family knows my mom is a beast when it comes to cooking, but she's not in Nigeria. So I'm trying to remember the name of this place. My cousin took Malia took me to there. You had a spot in your video called Belgium. Is is that the spot you'd recommend? That's yeah, that was it. That was it. Yeah, it was, was there, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. So Belgium, Belgium is amazing. I'm gonna link it up in the show notes for anybody that is gonna go to Nigeria. So I want I want to pull the recommendations out and then yeah. uh, and we'll link it up in the show notes. So uh, so that's dope, man. Yeah, I mean, and for people that don't know also about Nigeria, just to contextualize, a lot of people don't understand like 
how enormous the population of Nigeria is. Okay. Yeah. So just for context, folks, there's 56 countries in Africa and 15, one five, 15% of the entire population of the continent lives in Nigeria. I mean, it is by <laughs> far the most populated country on the continent with nothing even close. And, you know, Lagos is the center of, you know, the film industry, and they call it Nollywood. <laughs> and yeah. it's also the center of the sub-Saharan African music scene, you know? And to be honest with you, Fouad, like, that's actually why I wanted to go there and why I went there. Because in 2018, so two years ago, I went to East Africa, right? And I spent a month in uh, Nairobi and Kenya, and I went up to Uganda. And a Ugandan friend of mine who lives in Kampala, she was like, yeah, she's like, if you're going to be in Kenya, you better come to you know, to Kampala. She said, come up to Uganda, stay with me. I'll take you out. I'll show you around. So she took me out to all of the most lit clubs. And Kampala also is just an unbelievable city for nightlife and everything. So she's taken me around there. And I've just literally never heard any of this music before. And mm. people are going crazy for it. So I literally, I'm on the dance floor, just like clicking the Shazam app on my phone you yeah, know just yeah, like yeah, every yeah, song yeah. after song after song I'm like what is this what is this what is this and the, <laughs> the dance floor is going wild i've never heard this music so mm -hmm. i'm like shazamming it all and then later i start looking up the artists you know when yeah. i got back i'm like googling these people and there were some ugandan artists but over 50 percent of the total music that i heard that weekend when i looked up these artists it's like nigerian 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 i'm like man <laughs> I got to go to Nigeria. I'm like, yeah. that's it. That's happening. So <laughs> I put together, a, I put together a squad of people that uh, I knew also wanted to roll to Nigeria and wanted to, you know, roll the same way I wanted to roll there and stuff. So yeah, so we went last year and it was just West Africa was just was just spectacular. So I've been trying to put it on everybody's radar. You know, Nigeria, Ghana, Senegal. You know, the whole thing. I mean, just just a really really special region. Man, it made a huge impact on me. For sure. And just to um, say real quick, so like literally like when I was talking about the the story of how I like first landed and was like riding through the sunset. So like Malik didn't actually come until the day after because he was performing in Kampala in, in Uganda. So oh, like, it's certified. Nice. It's certified. <laughs> it's legit. Yeah. No, Kampala is legit. I've been telling people about that, too. So I'm so excited, dude. I'm, I'm so into seeing now more parts of Africa. Like I just want to go back and I want to see more of it. But then I also want to go back to West Africa for the festival season that you were describing because I was not there during December, right? Mm -hmm. So I was there in like the summer, you know, I was in the Lagos in the rainy season. I was like, whatever, man, it's Lagos. Like rain, shine, yeah. like off season, on season, whatever. It's Nigeria. It's going to be lit all the time, right? Yep. But, but I would love to go back in December and do more of the festival stuff, but also to see other parts of Africa for sure, man. So, so totally amazing and uh, definitely appreciate you uh, sharing all that. And, and hopefully we've put it on some people's radars to get there. Um, let's start off though. Let's go back a little bit. Um, and I would just kind of want to go through your, your story and your path to becoming a digital nomad. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, you know, a little bit about your upbringing, but can you take us back and kind of talk a little bit about, you know, sort of where you grew up and then I guess both your interests in, in terms of fitness growing up and also how your interest of international travel developed when you think back. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, so I lived in the UK for the first um, almost six years of my life. So um, my brother, like I mentioned earlier, he's uh, like three, four years older than me. 
Um, so yeah, so we lived in the UK. So obviously, when you're there, like the biggest sport there is is soccer or um, football, as the rest of the world likes to call it. So being there, that was like yeah, that was like my my fun, my focus, just having fun playing games and doing all that type of stuff. So when I was almost six, my brother was nine, we moved to Chicago. So moving to Chicago was like a big, big culture shock. So like, I've never been anywhere that cold before. Like, I was just confused. I'm like, wow, do we come to this cold place? Like, I got to wear so many layers, like just to survive. And yeah, so like, it was just like a big, big shock. And then the biggest thing that I think I switched in was obviously um, the sports. So like, in, in America, especially at that time, people didn't really play soccer, especially if you're with black people, like in the hood and stuff like that. Like soccer is not <laughs> it's not going down. Um, but what everyone plays is is basketball. So I'm like, all right, I guess I got to uh, learn this basketball thing. So that's how I got into that. So, yeah, basketball was my thing. And then also football. I loved playing tackle football, like outside and stuff when we finally moved to the suburbs. So what's crazy, we were talking before the interview and we actually so Matt's actually born in a place that I lived for, yeah, like five, six years from like the time I was like six or seven years old until I was like 12 or so. Um, I lived in a place called Arlington Heights, um, Illinois. And that's where like my love for sports really, really took off because like we had a big, huge park. Do you know South Gobert Road? Uh, no, I don't. But you know Golf Road, right? So I, I was born in Arlington Heights, but I moved when I was about two years old. So oh, so you don't know that. <laughs> I can claim... Shy City Heritage. And I'll tell you, man, I was a hardcore Chicago Bears fan for like two solid years. You know what I'm yeah. saying? The first two years I was there, man. Yeah. You know? But then I moved around a little bit growing up. But I, I those are the roots, man. You know, Arlington okay. Heights is the roots. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, basically it was just the street that I lived on. It was like a basketball court and like this big huge field. So like anytime it was like decent weather out, like we would go out there play football, play basketball, play kickball. And this is what I wanted to do because this was the time, like, we had video games. We had, like, Nintendo 64 and all that type of stuff. But the internet wasn't really a thing. So, like, literally, if you wanted to entertain yourself, like, you wanted to be outside. And, like, I was decently good at um, athletics and stuff. Like, the day we had um, field days, like, uh, where at the end of the year where you have, like, the races and high jump and long jump and all that stuff. Like, I literally won every single thing that I competed in up until fifth grade. And I think in fifth grade, this one kid beat me in a race. And I was like, what about this guy? Like, who does he think he is coming here? It was like this new kid that moved into school. And I'm like, nah, like, and I think that's like when my competitive spirit really kind of suck in. And then from there, I just had the love for track and field because I was naturally like decent at it. Like I could jump, I could run without really training too much. So I, I love doing that. But the thing is, when you, when you come back from track practice and all this type of stuff for playing basketball, like you're hungry. And like, so growing up, we didn't have too much. Like we weren't like in a super bad situation to the point where like, I don't know, it wasn't like, like poverty or anything like that, but we didn't have much. Like there was days that we couldn't really eat too much and stuff. So my brother being who he is, like, he's like, nah, I can't, I can't do this. I got to find a way to, to make some money. So like when he was in like elementary and junior high, like he used to buy like big, huge bags of candy and sell them uh, like individually to like the kids in class. He would do the same with like basketball cards and stuff like that. And then he would do little things like this, like up until he was like a teenager. Um, and then when he was a teenager, he started looking at stuff on eBay. So he would go to like the dollar store 
um, and find things like Sonic the Hedgehog, like these like toys, these like uh, little toys that they had. He'd look on eBay and be like, oh, snap, they're selling for like like 30, 40 bucks. And they're only a dollar here. He's like, I'm going to buy every single one that they have and I'm going to resell it on eBay. So he started making money like that and then just selling whatever stuff he could find. And then eventually he made his way to selling like diet pills. So like fat burning pills and appetite suppressants and all that stuff. So like literally by the time I was like, I'd say like 13, 14. And my brother was like, yeah, like 16, 17. So he was still in high school. Um, like I would literally be going to the post office with like on my bicycle, like with garbage bag full of orders of like diet pills and and all this type of stuff that we're, we're selling on eBay. So that's how like the whole entrepreneurial like type of thing kind of got started for me was just by seeing what my brother was doing and just wanting to be a part of that. And at the same time, I was obviously into my sports. So I started running track for my junior high and then eventually high school. And yeah, I continued to help my brother with the the marketing stuff as well. When he was 18, like as soon as he was able to, he moved out. So that's when I just really focused on track because I knew my mom really hammered home that she like really wanted me to go to university. Like my brother was doing his own thing. So she didn't really push him too hard to it. But like, for me, she's like, no, you need to go. So like, I'm like, all right, if I'm going to go, I might as well enjoy it. So like track was like my thing. So like, I really enjoyed track and field. I'm like, this is something that can push me through like these uh, four years. It's actually five years because the first year I was at a junior college and I'm like, wait, you don't have to come to class? Like, I'm never coming to this thing unless we have a test. <laughs> and I, I quickly learned that that wasn't the best way to pass classes. So, yeah, the second year I smartened up. Then the third year I was off to a university, did that for two years, graduated, had fun with track. Um, I was in Iowa. And this was the actual time that, like, Afrobeat started to really kind of pop off. It was like, so I was there from 2011 to 2013. And then my cousin wasn't big then. Like, he had, like, some songs. He was working with WizKid, so he used to produce for WizKid. So like I was asking my friends if they knew a song. He had a song called like Carolina, Carolina or something like that. And they're like, no, I don't know that stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, do you know when you're just like hoping like someone knows? Like my friend does this. And they're like, have you heard of him? And they're like, nah. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, So yeah. So after that, I graduated 2013, finished track, uh, got my degree, did all that stuff. And then my brother's like, yo, you trying to uh, I think Spain was the first place that he was like, you're trying to come out to Spain. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to come to Spain. So we went there, did that for like a few weeks, then went home. And then after that, that was like, he was like, yo, you should come to Thailand, just pack all your stuff. And then like, if you want, you could just stay here for a few months or whatever. So that was like my first like big, big move where I'm like, I'm not actually coming home in a few weeks. And this is like, this is serious. And like right before that, so like literally right after I graduated, he started to show me Facebook ads. So like literally right after track practice, I would go to the, so we didn't have internet at our house because we were broke college kids. So I went to the, I think it was called Hy-Vee. Yeah. It's like a, like a big grocery store, but they had Wi-Fi. So I used to go there after practice uh, before work um, and then just like figure out this whole Facebook ads thing and all that stuff. So I had a little bit of that knowledge going into it before I went to Thailand. Once I got to Thailand and yeah, I just really stuck with it, kind of learned it. And yeah, it was kind of all she wrote from there. Dope. So how long were you based in Thailand versus sort of, you know, when did you start kind of moving and traveling around and living in different places? So I was first based there for six months. Yeah. So it was like late, late 2013 that I moved there. And then where do we move next? 
I think it might have been Panama or something. But yeah, like pretty much from then, like even when we're based in Thailand, we still went to like a lot of places. Like I think we went back to London in like January and yeah, went around from there. So yeah, pretty much from there, it's like we were based in places, but we're still like moving around quite a bit. Right. And what is your lifestyle structure now look like? What is your travel cadence? How often are you moving from one place to another? How are you structuring your lifestyle today? Yeah, that's a that's a funny question because there literally is no structure. <laughs> like, I guess the only structure I have is like, I want to have a base where I can leave most of my things. That's like a place of my own. Like, I don't want to just leave it at a friend's or my parents or whatever. So like, I like to sign like six months contracts in, in different places. Um, so that's kind of how I do it now. So like I said, I've been here in Vietnam, been based here since September. Um, and then before that, I was in Thailand for six months. And before that, I think Bali for a few months. And then I was in Colombia and then Panama. And yeah, so that's kind of like my structure with that. But then outside of that, I'm always taking trips to either different events or for different things. So like there's always weddings. Like I'm at the age where everyone's getting married. So I got (laughs) to fly out for weddings and bachelor parties and all that stuff all the time. And then I always try to make it back for like my family's like birthdays. And I try to be in like the UK. So the thing is I have foster parents. So that's who I live with when I was in the UK most of the time. So I go see them in the UK and then also my real father. Um, But then my mom, um, like my real mom, she lives in Chicago. So that's where like, so her birthday is in the beginning of December. So I usually go to Chicago for Thanksgiving at the end of November, see her on her birthday for December. Then I'll make my way to the UK for like Christmas and stuff, unless I'm going to Nigeria or whatnot. And yeah, I guess that's kind of my structure. And outside of that, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Like my friend just hit me up. So like my cousin um, just hit me up. He's like, yo, you trying to come to Carnival in Jamaica in April? I'm like, yeah, that sounds dope. So yeah, I'll be be doing that. (laughs) That's amazing, man. Yeah, I do the same thing in terms of visiting my family, you know, over the holidays and sort of prioritizing that and spending, you know, quality extended time with them every year. And then, you know, I, I think that's really cool because I'm always curious, particularly for people that have been doing the itinerant nomad lifestyle for a while. You know, yeah. once you're as far, and I literally left the same time you did. I literally left the summer of 2013, you know, mm. and have been fully itinerant with no permanent base ever since. Yeah. And so I'm curious about people that when they get seven years into it, you know, and they're still doing it, how have they kind of found that, you know, that sort of cadence or what kind of, you know, lifestyle structure works for them? You know, I agree with you about sort of the slow travel thing, yeah. you know, and needing to be based in certain places for, a longer period of time so that you can really feel like you live there and kind of get into your groove and your routine and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's no time cap on our travel, so we don't need to rush it. We could just enjoy the places that we're in and, you know, really kind of live a, you know, more relaxed lifestyle. So I like that six month, approximately six month kind of basis. And then you'll take maybe a side trip here or there, but you know, you lack those in for six months. I think that's cool. You know, I I relate to a lot of that. that Yeah. I learned like why I don't like fast paced travel. And in 2014, we did a Euro trip. So me and my brother, Nathan, so he's actually like pretty big now. So if you guys look on Instagram, look for a guy named World Nate. And then our videographer at the time, uh, Dan. Yeah, we did a, a trip through Europe. And boy, like, so two things I learned there is that I do not like constant fast paced travel where I'm packing up and going every day. And I do not need as many things that I thought that I did. 
So like I literally had like one of the biggest suitcases that you could possibly get, like filled to the brim with clothes and all this stuff I will never use. I had a gym bag. I had like a, a regular backpack and a small backpack. I had all of this stuff just for like a few, like two months in, in Europe. And I thought like, I'm going to need all this stuff. Like walking up and down like the stairs and the trains and going to different cars and to planes and all that stuff, like it becomes hectic. And it's even more hectic when you have a lot of shit with you that you don't really need. Like I'm like, I have all these clothes, but I've only worn like maybe 30% of them. Like all this other stuff I wear like once a year. I'm like, do I really need to pack this stuff? So yeah, and like I learned like just just having to pack up every day. Like you go to a city, sometimes you really love it. Like you want to spend like a week or two there. Like you don't want to be like, oh, we're here for a day, but we got to be in Rome tomorrow. So we only got 12 hours here. And then when we get to Rome, we can only stay there for two days because we got this thing booked in some other place. So like, I really learned like not to to travel like that. Um, For me, like some people love it. Some people just love to pack up and go like every other day. But for me and most people that I know, it's like, it's just not, it's not sustainable over a long period of time. And like, you just, you just get tired. Like, I don't care. I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation. If that sounds interesting to you, to learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now back to the episode. How how much energy you have, like, like it will wear you out like after a while. A hundred percent. And that's why I say I'm particularly interested asking these questions to people like you that have been doing this for seven years, because, you know, there are a lot of people that try to jump into the nomad life. And then within a year or two, they're back, you know, and they've stopped traveling, you know, for any number of reasons. One, they ran out of money because they partied too much and they didn't work or, you know, any number of other reasons, you know, they traveled too fast and got worn out. They're like, oh, this is exhausting. Well, yeah, yeah, it's exhausting if you make it exhausting. But, you know, (laughs) so it's like, you know, there's all of these sort of sustainability pillars of the lifestyle that you need to nurture and attend to, to make it, you know, super fun and exciting and exhilarating and relaxing and all the other things you need in your life together for a really extended period of time to be able to do it for seven plus years. So I always love, you know, having those conversations with, with long-term nomads like you, man. Yeah. And I think like, the only thing you really need, because it's like, if you think about like the reason you want to go home, it's because of comfort for the most part. Like you want to go home because you're used to your bed, you're used to some type of routine. So like you have to really break down. It's like, all right, so what are these things? And can I possibly do these things while I'm in another place? So like, if I have a nice bed, would I be like, like happy to go back to that? If I have fast internet, would that make me happy? If I have restaurants that I know I could go to, like, would I be cool with that? You just got to kind of look at like, all right, so what is it that 
that home that like draws me back to going there. Like obviously friends and family, you can't replace that with anything, but any, everything else outside of that, outside of other people, like I feel like you can, as long as you, you have like the core things that you want that make you feel comfortable. Yeah. That make up your routine. I feel like you can make a home out of any place that you go. Well, let's transition now as a perfect pivot, I think, to talking about how to maintain certain constants, certain anchors, certain pillars in your life as you change locations. Mm-hmm. And the thing that you specialize in teaching nomads how to do in that category is how to maintain your fitness and your nutrition and live a healthy lifestyle and stay as fit, if not more fit than you would be, you know, if you're just at home going to your gym in one location, even if you're moving and even if you're moving at a fast pace or a quick pace, and even if you're going to very remote locations where they don't have a gym because you're out in the middle of who knows where, but you teach people how they can still get a full exercise routine and how they can eat nutritiously and healthily in all different cultures, all different environments. And so I'd, I'd love to transition to that now and have you talk a little bit about that. And maybe we just start with with the fitness, unless you want to start with the nutrition. I want to ask you about both of them and just start with what some of your you know, basic tips are for nomads who are itinerant and moving from place to place. Yeah. So the biggest thing with fitness, it doesn't matter where you are, if you have a million dollars in personal trainers and all that type of stuff. It's finding out what, what your goal is. Because if you're just doing stuff, if you're just eating certain things or working, doing certain workouts or exercises, but you don't have a goal, it's like, it's kind of pointless. You don't know where you're headed. So the first thing is to say, I am either this weight and I want to get to this weight, or I am this size and I want to get to this size. So once you have that, then you can say, all right, what do I need to do to get to that? So from there, you could say, all right, so for most people, it's wanting to, to lose fat, to see a six pack or just to be thinner, or you want to, to put on size and put on muscle and build muscle and all that stuff. So there's only like one way that you're going to manipulate either of those things, and that's going to be through your nutrition. So what you're eating, how much you're eating and all that good stuff. So that is the most important thing. So I don't care if you want to just be really good a really good runner. Maybe you want to run marathons and stuff like that, or you want to be a bodybuilder or you want to do parkour. Like all of this stuff requires nutrition. Like nutrition is, is the basis. So for me, the most simple way to stay on top of my nutrition. So for me, my goal is to just kind of maintain where I'm at, maybe build a little bit more muscle, but like, I'm not trying to be like the top bodybuilder in the world or try to have like huge arms or anything like that. I just want to feel good. I want to look good. I want to look in the mirror and be like, okay, I like what I see. So I'm trying to keep a low body fat. So in order to do that, in order to, to lose body fat, you basically need to give your body less calories a day than you're burning. So you want to burn um, more calories than you're taking in every single day. And so there's a few ways you can go about it. You can count your calories and, and weigh your food and bring a scale with you and prep your meals and do all that stuff, which is very time consuming, which can be very difficult, especially when you go to grocery stores and people don't speak the language that you speak and you're trying to find stuff. So I just find it to be difficult. So the most simple way I think is intermittent fasting, which basically means that you eat for eight hours or less a day. Um, And keep in mind, when you're not eating, you want to be drinking water. You want to drink as much water as you possibly can. And this is something that it's not like some super niche thing, like so many people do it. So if you guys know who 
Terry Crews is, um, the big guy that's in White Chicks and a bunch of other stuff, new stuff. I can't think of his new things. A bunch of athletes use it, a bunch of like actors and actresses use it. And I think it's the most simple thing to use because when you're traveling, like you don't know exactly what type of meals or what type of food you can get in certain places. So trying to say like, I'm only going to eat this type of meal, this exact thing, like it could really throw you off. But saying that you're only going to eat at a certain time, it doesn't matter where you are, or what you're doing, you can always do that. So yeah, I just find that to be the easiest way. And once you have your nutrition on point, then you can start to look at your workouts. You can start to look at all of these other type of things, but having your nutrition. So like I suggested with intermittent fasting where you basically eat for eight hours or less a day. And then from there, then you're going to say, all right, so what workout should I do? So then again, I would ask like, what is your goal? Is your goal to look like the most muscular person in the world? Are you just trying to see your six pack? Are you trying to get bigger legs? It kind of, kind of all depends. But I think for the most part, most people just want to look good and feel good and be able to, to live a healthy life. So I suggest doing like full body workouts. So a lot of the times when you're traveling, you're not always going to have full gyms. Like like you were mentioning before how about the car and Brazil and stuff like that, how they have these amazing outdoor gyms. And the reason you're saying they're amazing is because most places in the world don't have this. So like if you're not trying to pay for crazy amounts of gym memberships all the time, and even when you go to nice hotels, they might just have a treadmill and a Bowflex machine. So you got to pick the workouts that are most effective for you. So for me, like anytime I go a place, I like to do pull-ups. Pull-ups is probably one of my favorite workouts to do. And you don't need to be in a gym to do that. Like literally in a lot of the homes that I'm in, like if it's a two-story place, I can use the staircase to do pull-ups. I can use edges of things to do them. Yeah, pretty much anywhere you can hang your hands from, you can do pull-ups. And then dips is another really good exercise. So basically you just need to find something where you can hold yourself up on, brace yourself down. And then from there, like push-ups, burpees, all types of different ab exercises and sprinting. So like if you're looking to burn fat, I would say sprint. You want to do sprints. You want to run and not just jog. Because if you jog, jogging takes a long time and it's very medium paced. It's not very hard on your body, but at the same time, like you are going to get tired and you're going to have to jog. And the more you jog, the longer you're going to have to jog to see results. But with sprinting, you're not going to be able to sprint at full pace, like, for more than a minute or so. Like even reaching a minute is like very elite. Most of the time, most people will be like anywhere from like 10 to 30 seconds of full pace sprinting. So if you have, if you're looking to to lose weight, I would say put some sprinting in there, do hip cardio, which is high intensity interval training. So that means like, let's say you have a workout for 10 minutes, seven to eight of those minutes are you doing an actual workout and it's only going to be two minutes of resting. So like, let's say like with a minute, you're doing 40 seconds of pushups, then you rest for 20 seconds, then you do 40 seconds of squats and then rest for 20 seconds. Um, So this type of stuff is is keeping your heart rate going. So like you're basically doing cardio while you're building muscle and you're doing it all within like 10 minutes or so. So I kind of went on a ramp, but yeah, these are like kind of like the basics. So once you have your, what you're eating and your your nutrition in point, then you look to the workouts and then from there, everything else is just kind of extra. So talking about supplements and all that other type of stuff, like look to all of that stuff after first, see what your goal is, see how you can eat towards that goal and then what workouts will best supplement that. Okay. So let me ask you this. I have also heard you talk about customizing meal plans and, you know, giving a lot of thought to the specific types of food that you, the individual person might want to be, you know, Mm -hmm. focused on based on what your goals are. And I want to ask you about that in the context of 
travel because, you know, for me, one of the highlights of traveling to different countries is the culinary food scene. Yeah. And, yeah, also, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and also the wine scene, if they have a wine scene. <laughs> um, but, but for me, it's like, man, like food and wine is like a massive part of, you know, my travel experience in terms of how I want to experience other cultures and what I appreciate so much about other cultures. And different types of, you know, different places have different types of food and some is probably generally a little bit maybe more healthy or less healthy than another. But, yeah. you know, when I go to places like Italy, there's a lot of white carbs in yeah. Italy. And yeah. man, are they good. And do I want to eat them? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then when I go to France, man, are there baguettes and their, their butter croissants and, uh, you know, all of that stuff. Very, very good. And I want to have butter croissants every day for breakfast, man. I just wanted to go to the bakery and get them, man. Yeah. So when I go to those places and I know mm -hmm. that their specialty cuisine is kind of in those categories, like how do you suggest that people think about you know, nutrition and kind of balance that ex local experience with, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, being healthy. Yeah. So that is, yeah, that's crazy that you brought that up because I literally talked about that. So I'm editing some videos right now and that's one of the topics. Like I literally said, like when you go to certain places, you want to be able to eat the local food and, and then just indulge in everything without having to worry about like, yeah, I'm going to get fat if I eat this one piece of bread. So back to kind of how I was talking about in the beginning, like, once you know your eating routine. So you want to be able to have, so like with the custom meal plans, like even if you are moving around a lot, I would suggest looking at a custom meal plan, like you don't necessarily have to pay for one or just putting one together. Basically, so you know any country that you go to, like these are the type of meals and types of foods and amounts of foods and amounts of these types of things that I could eat so I can be within my dietary goals. Like my goal is to eat this many calories. I know if I have eggs and bacon and orange juice for lunch, for breakfast and then for lunch, I have chicken Parmesan with vegetables. And then for dinner, I have enough like calories where I can I can have a few beers. I can have a few pieces of cake or croissants or whatever it is. So you just want to make sure that like you're giving yourself the room and the space to be able to do that because it's, it's the worst thing in the world to just go by every single day eating things that you absolutely hate. Like I would hate to have to fucking eat salad every day. Like if it's just salad, 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 like you're going to get tired of it. You're not going to love it. And that's another thing that I love about intermittent fasting. So like literally last night, my last meal I had was McDonald's. Like I had like a, a McChicken, some fries and like a filet of fish or whatever. And like, I wouldn't do that if I wasn't intermittent fasting, because if I'm eating all day long, like, the chances of me having too many calories would be very high. But since I'm only eating for eight hours a day, like I had, I think one meal before that, and it wasn't even a very big meal. So the last meal I can have McDonald's. I can, I can eat croissants. I can eat cakes. I can, I can have a few glasses of wine. I can have some beers. So you just want to make sure you give yourself room for that. And also, like I said before, you just want to make sure that you know the types of foods and meals that you can get anywhere. Like, you know, anywhere in the world, they're going to have eggs, um, they're most likely going to have chicken. They're going to have all these different protein sources and that. And then pretty much everywhere has different fruits and vegetables. They're not going to be the same. But, you know, if you can have like two cups or three cups or whatever of, of this or this type of fruit. So just kind of knowing like the constants that you can get in certain places, how much to have of them and then how much you can eat where you can just be like, all right, I'm just going to do what I want to eat what I want for this 
for this for this night or whatever. And then also having cheat days. Cheat days is never too bad of a thing as long as you're not going like too crazy on them to the point where it's the next day and you're like, I want to keep cheating. But yeah, that that would kind of be <laughs> my suggestion for that. What tips do you have specifically? I mean, let me ask you about this. If people, I feel like one of the biggest sort of mysterious fitness areas that there's a lot of mythology around is getting defined abs. So if somebody came to you and they said, Fuad, I want to get an eight pack like you, how do I do it? What are the main tips for getting definition in the abs and what are some of the misnomers that are out there? All right. So, yeah, I think the biggest thing is like you can eat something or do something so that you're specifically losing fat in your abs or your ab area, which is 100 percent untrue. Like the way your body is set up, like your body's not just going to be like, oh, I'm just going to lose fat from this from your left knee today and tomorrow I'm going to take it from your right shoulder. Like, no, it it loses it overall. The way you're going to lose body fat, the way you're going to lose weight is, is going to be as a collective, like your body's not saying, Oh, today I want to do this side and I'm going to do this. Like it's, it's an overall thing and you can't choose where you want to lose body fat. So that's what, so like in order to see your abs, you need to have a low percentage of body fat. And in order to lose body fat, you need your body to use up that energy. You need your body to use that fat. And the way that happens is by, um, like I said earlier, you want to make sure that you're giving your body less calories a day than it actually needs. So what's happened is like versus using the energy from the food that you're currently eating, it's going to use all of that, but then it still needs the energy. If, if you're breathing, if you're blinking, if you're moving your arms around, your body needs to get the energy from somewhere. So if it doesn't have it from the food that you currently have in your system, it's going to get it either from your stored body fat or from the glycogen that's in your muscles. So that's why you want to make sure that you're in what's what is called a caloric deficit where you're consuming less calories a day than you're burning. So that's the only way that you're going to lose fat. The only way that you're going to lose fat, see your six pack and all that stuff is by being in a caloric deficit. And then from there, you want to make sure that you you are doing ab exercises, but you don't want to do ab exercises and not be in a caloric deficit because you're like you're just going to have a really strong six pack that no one can see because you have a bunch of belly fat over it. So like there's a lot of people that are like, oh, if you do these crunches, like you're going to see your abs or stuff like that. It doesn't work that way. Like, yes, you would build it just like you can build any other muscle. Like you can have very strong legs. Like you see like the, the strongest people in the world, they don't really have six packs. Like a lot of them have like big, huge bellies and like they're kind of wobbling around, but they're the strongest people in the world. Like just because you can't see their abs and see like their defined muscle doesn't mean it's not there. Um, but if you do want to see it, then you have to get rid of that body fat. So in order to get rid of the body fat, you need to stay on top of your diet. So you need to be in a caloric deficit. That makes a lot of sense. And so in terms of developing a fitness routine, first of all, you mentioned people need to decide what their goals are. They're trying to lose weight, burn fat, or they're trying to build muscle, or they're trying to get more definition, like what exactly are they trying to do? And then develop a fitness regimen that is going to work towards that goal. And then 
as they move from place to place, what tips do you have about you know, staying on track because it's very easy, I think, to just be like, oh, everything's hectic or I've, I'm in this new place now. And, you know, you kind of get off schedule, you fall off your your routine and that kind of stuff. Do you have any tips for sort of maintaining a routine as you move from place to place? Yeah. So for me, especially when talking about uh, workouts, I like to do like my abs and some type of cardio, like pretty much first thing when I wake up. So within like 30 minutes of waking up, I like to go, if I have a gym, I'll go to the gym, go on a bike or whatever. If not, I'll just do some jump ropes or do something in my room and then do some some ab exercises. And it's like a really good way just to to get your body awake and yeah, just like to, to feel the energy. And then another thing I like to do is like, all right, so if I've noticed that I haven't worked out in the past few days, what I'll do is that I won't eat my first meal until I work out. So like eating will be my reward from working out. That way I know that I'm going to work out because I know I'm going to want to eat. So in order to eat, I need to work out. And another thing you can do is if you want to fit your workouts in, but you find that you're always busy, work out right before you take your shower. So whenever you're normally going to take your shower, if it's right after traveling or when you wake up or before going to bed, get a quick workout in then because you know you're going to shower. So like I would say like channel it around things that you know you're going to do every single day. Like you might not necessarily read a book every day or go to a certain place. But one thing that like things that you're going to do or you should be doing every day is is showering and eating. So if you put your workouts before you do those things, like you're almost going to guarantee that you're going to do that. That's an awesome tip, man. And what do your day structures look like for you personally? How do you structure? Do you have like a morning routine? Like how do you structure your work into your day? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So for me, like I don't have like a structure just because I'm kind of always doing different things and seeing different people. But like my ideal thing would be like as soon as I wake up, I do a bit of reading. Like I like to read my book. Like I, I like to stay away from technology for the first like hour or so that I'm awake, just so I'm kind of like present, like kind of meditating and just kind of not being fed by everything else. Cause I feel like a lot of the times, like we're, we're not thinking for ourselves. We're just seeing stuff and then having that control what we do and how we feel. So I think like either just reading or just meditating or doing whatever it is for like the first 30 minutes to an hour, right. When I wake up is something that um, I really love to do that I need to do uh, more often. And then after that, I would kind of, check my messages, see what stuff I have going on for the day, if I have any calls or anything like that. And then I'd like to go, since I'm in the place that I'm in, we have a really nice gym or a few gyms here. So like I'll go down, go on a bike for like 15, 20 minutes, do some abs, hit the sauna, then come back and shower. And then from there, depending how I'm feeling, I might play Call of Duty for a little bit or I might hop into some ads. Uh, so start to look at the ads that I'm working on and all that stuff and then kind of map out some different things that I have going on with clients. And then around that time, it might be close to the time where I'd eat. So then I would prepare. So like what my go-to meal is in the morning, I have like, so six or seven slabs of bacon, some super cheesy eggs. And then I like to have like some mushroom and some uh, bell peppers in there, have that. And then from there, it's kind of, kind of up in the air. Like, cause I like to, date. <laughs> um, I guess you could call it. So like, I'll, I'll try to see someone or maybe depends who's here too. Cause I live with two guys, but they're not here right now. So like we might go do something or go somewhere or whatever. And then from there, it's, it's just kind of all over the place from there. But like my morning or like, 
I don't always get up super early, but that's kind of like my early routine. And from there, like it just kind of depends on uh, what I have going on through the day. Well, let me build on that and ask you about your marketing expertise and the advertising work that you're doing for your clients. I know you specifically specialize in Facebook and Instagram advertising. And I want to just ask for your tips on that. There's a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners listen to the podcast. Obviously, Facebook and Instagram are massive advertising and marketing platforms that people are trying to utilize the best they can. A lot of people are not getting results on the platform and a lot of, you know, let's be honest, you know this as well as I do. There's a lot of agencies out there that are like, oh, we can do Instagram and Facebook ads. Everybody else does them wrong, but we know how to do them. And then you hire them to do them and then they can't get results for you either. And then a lot of people get frustrated with that and then they get kind of down on the platform. But obviously, some people are getting major results on the platform, of course. Um, so we know that. But we also know that it's gotten a lot more expensive to get results on the platform and things of that nature. So, you know, just with that whole context in mind, I'm really interested if you can share some tips for the listeners in terms of what is working right now on in terms of Facebook and Instagram advertising and how should people be thinking about using the platforms effectively? Okay. Yeah. So just, just to start off with marketing in general, like, so like back in the day, obviously everyone used to advertise on TV and billboards and radio and all that stuff because this is where the attention was. People watched a lot of TV. People listened to a lot of radio. People were paying attention to billboards when they're driving when they probably shouldn't. But yeah, this is where the attention was. Like, And this is why there's so much money into it. But now if you think about your day, yes, you, the, the listener right now, like, like where do you spend most of your time? How do you spend most of your time? Like if it's not actually engaging with a person, it's most likely on your phone. Like your phone is where you're spending most of your downtime. Like if you're not actually out and about and doing things. So with that, when you're on your phone, you're like, all right, so what, what are you actually using when you're on your phone? Are you on WhatsApp? Are you on Facebook or on YouTube? Are you on Instagram? And most of the time you're on these social media sites. So this is the thing that you have to always remember, like no matter how much like technical stuff people are talking about with, with Facebook and Instagram. Like you can always learn that stuff. Like if you just wanted to learn how to place an ad and, and what buttons to press and all that type of stuff, like you can literally go to anyone for that. Like it doesn't like, obviously it takes a little bit of training, but anyone can actually figure that stuff out. The biggest thing is figuring out who you're talking to and what they want to hear. Cause at the end of the day, like you can have all of these ninja tricks, like, Oh, I'm getting, these crazy conversions by pressing this button and using this link and having my call to action over here and doing all that stuff. Like you can try all these different things, but if what you're, what you're showing to the people is not something they want, then you're just going to lose. You're going to end up losing. So the most important thing is obviously is, is finding your audience, who your audience actually is and what do they want? What do they want to see from you? What are the biggest problems? What are their biggest um, pain points? Um, what interests them? What do they want to see? What do they not want to see? What are they talking about? Like once you have this stuff figured out and you figure out what to show to them, like all of this other stuff is going to be easy because one thing that I'm really seeing now is like a lot of people. Um, so like I'm guessing most of you guys here like know Gary Vaynerchuk, you know who Ty Lopez is and all that type of stuff. And if you know who these guys are, you're probably following some of the stuff that they're doing online. So you're probably seeing a bunch of ads from 
people talking about similar things. It's like, hey, do you want to learn how to use Facebook ads or do you want to learn how to build an agency or do all this type of stuff? But everyone's talking about the same thing and it's a crowded space. And since everyone's talking about the same thing, it's going to be expensive. It's going to be expensive for you to to do the same thing. And it's going to be hard for you to to stand out from all of these people talking about the same thing. So like unless you're like the biggest person or unless you have something very niche within the industry, my biggest piece of advice is if you're just starting out and you're trying to figure out like where to go with the marketing, like go to a space where there's not much competition. Like if you're talking about, let's say, like building furniture that looks like baseballs, like you're not going to have many people doing that. If you're talking about how to use your cell phone to make music with like a keyboard app or something, it's probably not going to be much competition. But if you're talking about fitness, if you're talking about marketing, if you're talking about all these different things that are overly saturated, that's like the first hurdle is going to be so hard to get over. And like coming into it that way is going to be difficult. But now let's say you're already in that space and you're like, well, this is my business. And like, yeah, I'm going to be doing this. Yeah. Let's say that's the example, man. I mean, I, you know, Maverick Investor Group, the company that I co-founded and co-own right now, we help people buy investment real estate. Yeah. Yeah. Now, investment real estate, is a pretty popular space, right? There's a lot of people that are doing something in some variation of investment real estate. So, you know, for people that have a business that is in a popular space, you know, what are the most effective ways that they can, you know, get to their target market through Facebook and Instagram advertising? What are the best practices? Yeah. So, so yeah. So once we're in this space, we're in a crowded space, I would say your content is the most important thing like your product and all that stuff, like it could be okay. And it'll probably sell as long as your content is good. So what you're showing people is actually helping them. So like verse saying like, oh, look how I made X, Y, Z dollars in X, Y, Z days with my X, Y, Z thing. Like people are seeing that stuff all the time. But verse saying like, oh, I did this thing and you can learn it on my web class, just sign up and da, da, da. Give them something on the, on the front end. Give them something on their first point of contact with you. So with your cold audience, like show them a step, show them something, show them how, oh, did you know, like uh, when you're looking to buy a house, like these, these are the top area codes for the upcoming trending areas that will skyrocket in whatever years. And it's like, when you're doing it, you're probably going to want to use this tool to do so and da, 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 like actually going through something that they can take and remember. Because what you ultimately want is to build a connection with the person who's seeing your ad. So you want to be able to have an impact on them. So the way that you're going to do that is by either entertaining them, teaching them something, or just like striking some type of reaction from them. And I think the best way to do it, especially in industry, like you're saying, is to educate them. Um, So to give them something where they can say, oh, like, I I didn't know this. I didn't know you can do this. or I didn't know this was a thing. I actually want to hear more about this. I want to see more. I want to learn more about it. So giving them actionable things that they can do on your actual piece of content versus just saying, like, we do this and we specialize in that. And um, we have this new thing coming up like that. Give them something that they can actually take um, and use like right there. I love that, man. Yeah. Delivering upfront value as a gesture of good faith to start 
building the relationship, you've given the upfront value and you've also demonstrated, you know, expert positioning and authority and all that kind of stuff by, and you've added value to them. And now, you know, you can kind of bring them in, but absolutely giving before you ask for anything or before you try to sell them anything and establishing that relationship up front. I think that's an awesome tip, man. I just wanted to add on to that. So also with that, like, let's say you are in like property investing, like you can talk about specific property investments. So maybe you're specifically talking about high rise condos. So you're saying with high rise condos, you're going to want to watch out for these things. You're going to need to worry about association fees and da, 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 and da, 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 and da, da, da. Like versus saying like, I can help you buy any property. Like even if you do help people sell, buy or sell any type of property, you can have specific ads talking about specific things. So yeah, that's, that's just another thing that I see really, really helps uh, with people. I like that, man. Yeah. Niching down, I think, and going narrow is a really, really good piece of advice as well. Love that. Awesome. All right, Fuad, a couple more questions before we move into the lightning round, man. I want to switch gears and I want to ask you about travel in general. You've now been a full-time nomad for seven years. And so in all of your experience now, and you think back on on everything that you've experienced, I just want to ask you a, a big picture question. Why do you travel? What do you get out of it? What does travel mean to you? That's a really good question. And I don't know if I have like an exact answer, but I know for me, just seeing different things, exploring different things, being able to like interact with people. That's literally one of my favorite things in the world is like, so like if you hang around me, if you ever hang around me, you know, like I'm a goofy person, like I'm always dancing and I just love, I love to see people smile. I love to see the interactions that people have and being able to do that in in so many different places is just really opened my mind to how people are so similar. Like no matter what we see on different forms of media, thinking like, oh, this person believes in this or this person does this, so they're this and, and all that type of stuff. At the end of the day, almost every single person is the same. Like we want to be happy. We want to eat good food. We want to have good relationships with people. We want to be in love. We want to have a family. Uh, we want to party. We want to celebrate the people that we love. And everyone is the same. Like everyone wants that. So like as you travel, you start to break down all of these stereotypes and presumptions that that were fed um, through whoever, whatever it is that you're seeing from the outside. But when, when you're actually a part of it, when you're actually seeing it for yourself, when you're experiencing it for yourself, you see that like, wow, like pretty much everyone in the world is almost the same in some type of way. Like, of course, we have our differences. We have our ways that we, we like to express ourselves and all that type of stuff. But like once you really see how similar everyone is, like it's the world becomes like a lot less of a scary place and more of a place where you just want to to see and explore everything. Like you just want to feel how it is to be in Brazil. You want to know how it is to to be in Sweden. Like you just want to feel everything. You just want to see and experience everything. And yeah, traveling just really opened my mind to that because I think when you're in a certain place and you're only in a certain place and you're very like local, like no matter what it is, even if it's, it doesn't even mean like the, the actual physical place you're in. It could be like your limited like exposure to maybe, uh, I don't know, like sports or to politics or to whatever, like you're only seeing that specific thing and you're only getting fed that specific like uh, 
But yeah, like basically you're just getting fed that from that specific thing. But when you open your eyes and your ears to different things, you can start to see how everything is all connected. And I just want to experience everything that I possibly can. I love that. And man, speaking of you making other people smile, I understand you were officially named the Smile Ambassador of Thailand. I got to ask <laughs> you how that came about. Yeah. So the title is funny. Like it makes it seem like it's some like big, like political thing, whatever. Yeah. Like, so my brother, like I said, he makes videos all around the world and stuff. So we pretty much always had a videographer that um, traveled with us. And sometimes we had like two of them. Um, so when we were living in Colombia, in Medellin, we saw like this contest to be the Smiles Ambassador of Thailand. So like basically this company called Dream Jobbing said, we'll make like a one minute video explaining why you love Thailand and why you think the land of smiles is like an amazing place to be or whatever. So since we had like a professional, two professional videographers, like we got to do an amazing video and they actually liked it. And then they actually sent us out to Thailand. So Dream Jobbing teamed up with like the official like Thailand uh, tourism group and stuff. Um, so they sent us out there. We just, yeah, just made some content talking about why Thailand is the, the land of smiles, why it's an amazing place to be, why the people there are amazing. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a whole lot of fun. A whole lot of fun. I love that. I love that. I agree. The people of Thailand are amazing. Some of the sweetest human beings on the planet of earth. And Thailand is one of my favorite countries in the world as well. And so as a final story here, before we move into the lightning round, I have to ask you to tell me about the time your house got raided in Thailand. <laughs> I, you literally haven't even told me the story yet. I said, hold it. I want to ask it for the podcast. You started to tell me. I said, pause. We're doing this on the air for the Maverick uh, Show listeners. So, so go ahead and tell me what happened. I hope like my older family is not listening to this. But <laughs> so basically, yeah, so I was living... In, in Chiang Mai, Thailand, uh, which is like, uh, for anyone that hasn't been, it's like in the north of Thailand, it's the second busiest city in Thailand. So it's not like a metropolitan type city, uh, but you got everything you need there. You got these huge malls, you got these big highways, it gets pretty busy. You got nice restaurants, all of that good stuff. You got that there. So a lot, and this is one of the biggest digital nomad cities in the world. So they got super fast internet and all that good stuff. So it's like, pretty much everything that you need to live your life abroad um, and feel comfortable to the point where you don't feel like you need to leave. So there, I'm there with my two friends that I'm living with. So Anthony, one of the filmmakers for Passport Heavy, really good friend. And then my other really good friend, Arnold from uh, from Australia. And the funny thing about Arnold is like people don't really believe where he's from. So he, he was born in Kenya, but most of his life he grew up in Australia. And there's not too many black Australians that, that people see and meet. So when people see him, they're like, what? You know, from Australia. Like <laughs> then he has to put on like a hard Australian accent so like people <laughs> believe him. <laughs> um so <laughs> so yeah, I'm there, I'm there with them. And then so like for anyone that knows me, like knows I, I like to go out, go out. I like to turn up, I like to party, but I, st I still also get my work done. Like I'll I'll put in a hard like six, seven hours, but then I'll go home, shower, maybe go work out, and then it's time to turn up. And I think we did it a little too much when we're in Thailand, specifically in Chiang Mai. So we used to go out like three, four times a week, sometimes five times a week. <laughs> and then when we go out, we obviously bring people back to the house. And we live in like this super local neighborhood. So we're not in like a digital nomad type area. Like literally there's like chickens running around in our neighborhood. Like you got these like naked kids, Thai kids just running around and stuff like that. Like super, super local neighborhood. But the thing is like, 
the lady that owns the land there, like her parents just passed away. And then she built like these really dope like townhouses there. So like we're, we're staying in like a really nice place, but it's like literally smack dab in the middle of like what looks like rural Thailand. So we would always like bring people back to the house. And a lot of the times it would be female people. And then they would see all of these girls and stuff like leaving at all these different times of the night. And this is not something that they're used to because it's, it's like Thai people and we're like these young partying Westerners and stuff like that. So it looked like there was something kind of dodgy going on with all these people coming in and out of the house, like all the time for like months on end. So like literally we just all happened to be out of the country. I think me and Arnold were shooting a video on the Maldives and I think Anthony was in Atlanta or or something doing like a, a conference out there or something. So when we got back, there's a motorcycle shop that we go to and then Like when we went back to get the bike, the guy's like, oh, so do you guys like the party? We're like, huh? Why are you asking me like the party? Like, yeah. He's like, oh, he's like, maybe you party too much. He's like, one of us like still had the bike rented and it was sitting at the house. So basically the guy's like, yeah, so the police came to your house and they're looking for you guys because they said you guys were shooting. um, They thought you guys were shooting pornography in your house. And we're like, wait, What? (laughs) <laughs> he's like yeah they, 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 they see all the girls come in and out of your house different times of the night so they say and it's and because the cops came into the house right and then so obviously like i said anthony's a filmmaker so he has like his tripods he has like his lights and all this different film equipment and then he doesn't want to get robbed so he keeps it in his room so it's literally set up like it's like a like a porn shoot going on in like his room and stuff <laughs> And there's like hard drives and stuff everywhere. And it was probably like some like condoms and stuff. So like, yeah. So like the cops were like, yeah, these guys are definitely shooting porn. And in Thailand, porn is illegal. So like, yeah, we get back and we're just like, what the fuck? Like, what? Like, I don't know what would have happened if one of us would have been home, like when they came and like raided the house, like I like, could have been in jail. Like, I don't know. But just, just for your guys' information, we, we were not shooting any porn. <laughs> and so did you have to talk to the cops? Like what happened? They raided it and did they take anything or like, did you have to go speak with them and like sort it out? No. Nah, Cause I think, I think our landlord, so our landlord must've like let them in to like go see it and stuff. And they must've talked to him, talked to her after. And she must've said like, Oh, they're just young and partying and blah, blah, blah. So like, yeah, we, we never had to talk to the cops about it, but I just heard from like, she did, the landlord didn't even tell us it was, it was the guy at the bike shop that told us about it. So that, yeah, we, we never had to talk to them. So, yeah. <laughs> Thailand, all kinds of stories from that country. I'll tell you what. All right. Amazing. Fuad, at this point, are you ready to move in to the lightning round? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. The lightning round. All right. What is one book that has greatly impacted you over the years you'd most recommend people check out? The Richest Man in Babylon. All right. What is one app or productivity tool that you're currently using that you'd recommend people check out? Mm, Duolingo to learn languages. Yep. What is one travel hack that you use that you can share with folks? I want to give two, So, but they tie in together. So one, get a credit card where you get rewards and even better if it's directly connected with the airline. And number two, make sure you get... Um, an alliance with some type of airline. So either One World, Star Alliance, Virgin, or whatever it is, so that every time you fly, you get points and you can go to the lounge and all that stuff, even if, it, even if you're not flying business class. Good one. 
If you could have dinner with any person that you've never met who's currently alive today, who would you choose and why? I'll say Shaq because he's he's done so many different things. He's an entrepreneur. He's an athlete. He's an actor. He's a rapper. Like, yeah, I'll say Shaq. Shaq would be my one. Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. Good pick, man. That would be a really amazing dinner for sure. <laughs> um, all right. What are your top three favorite travel destinations you've ever been you'd most recommend people check out? Bali, Indonesia, Medellin, Colombia, and Thailand as a whole. Okay. And what are your top three bucket list destinations right now, places you've never been that are the highest on your list you most want to see? Jamaica, which I'm going to very soon, Cape Verde, and Toronto. Okay. Dope. All right. Now, the final part of the lightning round here is going to be of the top five question. And I know you're a hip hop fan, but yeah. I also know that you're Afrobeat fan as we've established. So I kind of want to ask you both of these questions separately because I want you to, I really want to put the listeners on to some more of these Afrobeats. So let me start with that one. Who are your top five Afrobeat artists, African musicians? Okay. So obviously Malik Berry. <laughs> obviously. Um, and then I, I don't think most people know, but like the actual founder of Afro Beats is Fela Kuti. So Fela Kuti, for people who don't know, is like pretty much like the Bob Marley of Africa, Nigerian guy. So yeah, so he's like the, the guy who actually started like the term Afro Beats. So um, definitely Fela. You got to go to the Fela Shrine in Lagos yeah. when yeah. people visit Lagos, man, because that is lit. Uh, I'm there. so upset I didn't have time to go. Like that was the one. Did you not place, go? Did yo, you not go? And that was like the one place I actually really knew before I got to Lagos. Like my mom's been there, like pretty much all of my family. But like, yeah, I was literally supposed to go there a day after for like a show. But yeah, I was flying out. So I didn't. Oh, man. That. Well, next time you're going to Lagos, man, let me know because I'm, I am I will go back anytime. Yeah, not for sure. Amazing. I got you. All right, so you're on. So you're on too. So you got Malik Berry and you got uh, Fella. All right, Burna, definitely Burna boy. Fuck, who else we got? Who else we got? I'd say Yuji, uh, Yuji official. Mm. Oh, Whiskit. Yeah, Whiskit. There you go. There you go. I was waiting for that one, man. I was like, <laughs> is he gonna leave? Is he gonna leave Whiskit off the top five? I was like, that. I was like, I'm not gonna say that. No judgment. I'm just curious. I'm just listening. Listen to audience, man. Listening, you know. All right. Well, we're gonna do. We're gonna link up those five artists in the show notes because they are amazing, and I want to put my audience onto these Afro beats. So we're gonna link that up in the show notes. So here we go. Last question of the night you i know are a hip-hop fan so i want to ask you your top five hip-hop mcs of all time all right so before we even say that i just want to say like i feel like everyone is like just has to say tupac and biggie like you're crucified if you don't no matter if you listen to him or not you just have to put him in there but i never listened to too much tupac so i'm gonna leave him out of my top five just based off of the people that i've listened to this is a personal, a highly personal, highly subjective answer. Yeah. We are not asking you for an objective answer. <laughs> We're not asking you for what anyone else might say. We're not asking you to consider commercial success or any other objective measure. This is you personally, the people that influenced, impacted, emotionally moved you personally, who are your favorite rappers. Yeah. All right. So Biggie, 
Eminem, DMX, Lil Wayne, and I'd have to go Drake. Oh, All right. or Kanye. Oh, wait, what happened? Wait, what happened? I'm thinking Drake or Kanye. Drake or Kanye. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, That's a tough one. Let's see. Let's see. You're from Chicago, and you've and you've never been to you've never been to Canada. So uh, I don't know, man. I Kanye, Kanye, Kanye. I'm just saying, man. I don't. I don't know, man. It's up to you. It's your top five. But I'm not trying to influence it. I'm just saying. All right, Kanye, 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 Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, man. You know, speaking of Illinois, I was just out in uh, in Rockford, Illinois. Uh, big shout to DJ Ilche uh, out there who threw down a couple amazing hip hop parties. Super good friend of mine from back in college. We used to DJ hip hop shows together and stuff back then. Mm. And he did this party. And what he did without telling us, like his core kind of like 15 closest homies, he yeah. asked us all uh, what our top, who are our top five hip hop MCs because we yeah. have these kind of conversations a lot. So I didn't think anything of it, you know. Yeah. So we all tell him, and, he, and I didn't know he asked anybody else. And then we show up, and he had made top five T-shirts for us. Each person got a T-shirt with their five M- top five MCs on their own shirt. So there's fifteen people with fifteen different top five shirts. And that was like the theme of the hip hop party. It was unbelievable. That's crazy. <laughs> it was amazing. And in Rockford, Illinois, of all places, represent yeah. the rock, man. A lot of love for Illinois. That's it, baby. That's it. And big shout to Ilche, who's also a listener of the podcast, man. How many of my top five were in your top five or any at all? Uh Biggie. Okay. Just Biggie. Yeah. Although we got the other thing, man, that is is relevant, I think, for the top five discussion is to talk about, uh, you know, the year that we were born. Yeah. What year were you born? 1990. 1990? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So therein lies the difference. Okay. For me, I was born in 1976 and I was a hip hop DJ from 1991 to 1999. Okay, so all of my top five are going to be 1990s era New York City based hip hop artists. Just they're just they all are. You know what I mean? You got Big L on. No, you know what? I didn't put Big L on my list, although I interviewed Tiff. uh, This is actually another Legos tie in. So my (laughs) homegirl, Tiffany Green who I have traveled with extensively. She and I did a program where we traveled the world together for a year with like 40 people called Remote Year. And then, yeah, you know about Remote Year. So Tiffany Green and I did that together. And then she she actually came up through the hip-hop radio space. So she worked for WGCI in Chicago. Uh, She worked for, yeah, she worked for Hot 97 in New York. Like, you should listen to her episode, man. Like, she tells a story about working at GCI and trying to, like, you know, break Kanye to Jay-Z. And like, all all of it, I mean, it's crazy. It's an amazing story. So we talk about all this on the Tiffany Green episode. But the other amazing thing about that episode is that we recorded it in Lagos. So she went with me for the entire month to Lagos. And she was one of the people that I knew wanted to go to Nigeria and wanted to roll the way that I wanted to roll while we were there. And so, so we just had a blast. But it's, uh, yeah. it's a fun episode. And she put Big L in her top five. Oh, uh, crazy. For sure. So that's that, that was the tie-in, man. But, <laughs> well, you got you to tell uh, me your top five then. I, I got to hear it. My top five. Okay, so my top five, I'm going to be honest, they, they change a little bit. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, you start thinking about the other people and listening to other people like, mm, yeah, maybe that person deserves to be my top five. So I put in mine uh, the ones that, I'll tell you who the ones I had on my shirt were. 
uh, at the party, which was like a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had Biggie. Yeah. I had Nas. Yeah. I had Guru from Gangstar. Mm. I had Mr. Cheeks from Lost Boys. Mm. And I had Tretch from Naughty by Nature. Okay. 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 So, so those were the top five that I had um, because, and I, cause I didn't want to pick like, I mean, there's almost like kind of like you were saying, there's like this Mount Rushmore of, you know, top five. Like it's hard yeah. to like, most people would put Jay-Z in the list. Most yeah. people put Tupac in the list. Most, you know, there's kind of those. So you, I almost wanted to like, I wanted to throw in Mr. Cheeks from Lost Boys because I'm like, yeah, who else has Mr. Cheeks from Lost Boys? What? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> 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 but like, man, that, but that was an influential rapper for me. You know, like that was a rapper that really, I mean, I really appreciated and was emotionally moved by what Lost Boys were doing and their sound and the music and all that when it came out. I mean, it was very raw. It was very real. And for me, that's like some of the most core sort of 90s style stuff. So, yeah. you know, I like to just bring some of those artists out. But other people, too, had like amazing people on their shirt. Like the, the, the hip hop fans that are at this party were putting people like Prodigy from Mob Deep. And like, I mean, mm. I was like, OK, you know, like it was good. <laughs> it was like we had like a wide diversity. It was interesting, too, because for me, I was like, OK. I was like, Ilche, let me see the list of all the people because I wanted to figure out two things. Number one, if you have 15 people naming their top five, who's the most common overlapping artist? Yeah. And then the next question I had was, how many different artists do we have totally if, mm. if 15 people are naming their top five? Yeah. And I think we had 30 different artists among 15 people naming their top five. So the, that's, what is that? That's not that much. That's pretty similar. Yeah, it's like well, it's like seventy five total rappers that would be named, and and there were thirty different ones in that. Yeah. Um. So a bunch of them obviously are overlapping. The most overlapping rapper was Nas. Mm. Yeah, Nas is definitely in my top ten. But like, yeah. Uh, you know, you know who the second one was though that I didn't even have in my top five, although he's definitely in my top ten. Was uh, the second most overlapping rapper was Talib Kweli. Mm. Who's also amazing. Yeah. So on Kanye's first but, album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah, man. But a lot of it depends though on the era. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of these people were that nineties era hip hop crowd, you know, and that was the stuff that really moved us when that came out in like ninety two, ninety four, like you know, I remember when Wu Tang's album dropped, when Biggie's album dropped. I mean, these albums dropped and it was just like I mean, earth shattering. Like it was like, yeah. I remember where I was when I heard some of these songs for the first time. I couldn't even believe that, you know? And so a lot of it's what you come up with, where, where what's going on when you're in high school, what's going on when you're in college, what are your memories associated with? So like a lot of people, sometimes when I ask the younger generation, you know, I mean, I'm talking with like nomads that are in like their early twenties now, you know, and I'm yeah, asking yeah. them who their top five are. And they've never even heard of some of my top five. <laughs> They're like, Guru from Gangstar? Like, who's that? You know, or like whatever. So it's, it's like, yeah. I'm like, man, I got to say, I'm like, man, I got to send you some stuff. So, you know, that all depends. But Fuad, this, this has been amazing though, brother. Uh, I, I'm super stoked uh, about me and you hanging out in Bali here this summer coming up, my man. And uh, hopefully seeing each other around the world and in some other places. But I want you to let our listeners know how they can find you how they can follow you on social media, how they can come into your universe and connect with you. Yeah. So to find me, like where I post every day um, is on Instagram, my just like blog fitness Instagram, which is abnormal underscore fitness. So A-B-N-O-R 
M-A-L underscore fitness. I almost forgot how to spell for a second. <laughs> um, that's also my YouTube channel. But now I'm more so using this just for just for like travel fun content. And then if you guys want any of like the the fitness type stuff, the travel fitness type stuff, um, check out Passport Healthy. So at Passport Healthy at pretty much everywhere, PassportHealthy.com and all that good stuff. So, yeah. And if you, if you guys have questions about or want to see more about the marketing stuff, just hit me up on um, Abnormal Fitness. Awesome. We are going to link all of that stuff up in the show notes, folks. So you can just go to one place at themaverickshow.com and just go to the show notes for this episode. And we are going to have all of Fuad's website uh, URLs and uh, social media handles and all the ways to contact him there. So you can go right into his universe through the show notes page. And Fuad, thank you so much for being here, man. I really, really was a blast hanging out with you today, my man. I appreciate it, man. It's been it's been fun. Like I'm just sitting here. I'm looking at the time. I'm like, oh snap. It's been like an hour and forty minutes. Like, <laughs> well, that, that's why we got on when we got on at the beginning. I was like, You got a hard stop, man. You're like, no, I was like, perfect. We'll just kick it, man. You know, like don't worry about the time. That's good. That's how we do. <laughs> yes, man. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Man. It's been fun. It's been fun for real. I love it, brother. It's been a blast. But we'll see each other uh around the world sometime soon. Definitely in Bali and uh hopefully in Lagos, Nigeria. The next time you go, let me know. Yeah, let's do it. December. Love it. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Do you want to learn how to travel the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only and look good while you're doing it? Go to themaverickshow.com slash packing to see a free recorded webinar and learn exactly how Matt does it. He shows you the luggage he uses, the specific items he packs, and the travel brands he likes most. Even if you're just looking to go on shorter trips, but pack more efficiently and eliminate your checked luggage, you won't want to miss this. You can watch the free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash packing. Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on real estate investing for digital nomads? How to buy U.S. rental properties from anywhere in the world and finance an epic international lifestyle? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash nomad. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash nomad.